Well, it's a joy this morning to have the privilege to bring God's Word to you this morning as Pastor Dave is out of town, uh, ministering at another congregation down in Alabama. I've got the joy to open up the book of Isaiah for us as we take a break from the book of Luke this morning. So let's go to the Lord now and ask Him to profit our time together, if you'd pray with me. Lord, as we open up our word now, we ask, God, that you would also open our hearts to you, that we would be ready to receive your word with meekness, knowing that it bears witness to the one who is able to save our souls. So God, help us to see Jesus as this book is opened. Help us to see our sin. Help us to see the hope that is in your promised one. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up, one of my favorite channels was the Discovery Channel. It had some of my favorite TV shows that aired just constantly. It felt like it was this unsearchable riches of goodness that just kept coming. Steve Irwin's Crocodile Hunter, Shark Week, River Monsters. I was all in on every one of those shows. You know, but right around my teen years, there was a new show that started to air on the Discovery Channel, and I got hooked right away. It was Mike Rose, Dirty Jobs. Probably some fans in here. Well, the concept was Mike would apprentice himself out to other people who performed difficult, disgusting, dirty, and just downright undesirable jobs. Here's a few of them. Rattlesnake catcher. Roadkill collector. Sewer inspector. Shark suit tester. Well, it was a show that was just eye candy for teenage boys, but its viewership consisted more than just of teenage boys. The the show was actually nominated for five primetime Emmys. Now, I think that people love the show in part because there's sort of this innate sense of admiration that comes when you see someone who looks a hard job in the face and carries through, that, that, that sees a difficult task, and despite it being messy, despite it being uncomfortable, despite it being difficult, they persevere and finish the job. Well, this morning, our passage describes perhaps one of the dirtiest jobs found in the Bible. 
Last time when Pastor Tim preached from the book of Isaiah, we began in chapter 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord exalted on his throne. He confesses his sin and receives forgiveness from the Lord. And then this morning, we get into the last part of Isaiah chapter 6. We get into sort of the, the dirty details of Isaiah's commission. So I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6 with me. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. We'll be in verses 8 through 13. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 through 13. And Isaiah picks up in verse 8 and he says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. And the Lord said, Go. Say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants. Houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it'll be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. Well, the main idea that I want us to pull from this passage this morning is this. I think we'll see, like Isaiah, in our valleys, God guides by His Word, comforts with His providence, and gives hope with His promise. In our valleys, God guides us by His Word, comforts us with His providence, and gives hope with His promise. We're going to take that in three parts this morning as we walk through the passage. Part one, we see that God's Word is the way. God's Word is the way for Isaiah. God's Word is the way for us this morning. Now, if you remember when Pastor Tim preached in Isaiah he opens this chapter telling us when he had this vision of the Lord. And it's important for us to be reminded of this. This was in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, most of the time, when prophets begin to give a historical reference, they typically start by saying it was in the first year of the reign of so-and-so. But here, Isaiah intentionally gives us this marker telling us that it was the year that King Uzziah died. 
Isaiah wants us to know that the nation of Judah at this time was in distress. They, they were in national mourning, not to mention a national crisis. Their monarch was dead. Now, to give you an idea of where things were, no king in the entire history of Israel or Judah had reigned longer than Uzziah did. Not even King David. David reigned for 40 years, Uzziah, 52 years. 52 years. You know, mo most people living would have known no other king than Uzziah. And, and Uzziah, the scriptures tell us, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, Uzziah prospered. However, we see at the end of Uzziah's service, his prosperity became the occasion for presumption. And his presumption gave way to pride. It was there that he offered unauthorized incense on the altar and the Lord struck him with leprosy. And it wasn't long after that that the beloved king of Judah died. Isaiah looks and he sees a dead king and an unknown future for his people. So that's one of the reasons why this vision of the Lord is so significant for Isaiah. Because Isaiah is in this valley, and yet he's reminded that while this mortal king is dead in his tomb, the divine king is alive on his throne. And this encounter with the divine king leads Isaiah to confess his own worthiness, he receives cleansing and pardon for his sins before the Lord, forgiveness, atonement accomplished, and he's restored and set apart as holy to the Lord. And after the angel tells Isaiah that he's been cleansed, Isaiah then hears the voice of the Lord where we pick up in verse 8. The Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here I am. Send me. I Isaiah, freshly overwhelmed at the cleansing power of God, enjoying forgiveness, enjoying pardon from the king, hears the Lord of hosts saying that he needs a servant, and Isaiah readily, eagerly, immediately says, I'm in. Send me, Lord. I am ready to do your will. I want us to stop for a moment and just notice one thing here. Notice how humility and availability are bound up together. Humility and availability are, are bound up together. Isaiah says, Lord, I need you. God, forgive me. God, you're great. And that paves the way for, God, use me. God, I'll do whatever you ask. God, I am here and ready to serve you. Forgiven people 
are available people. God gives Isaiah a blank slate, and Isaiah gives himself to God as a blank check. Well, how are you doing at this? Do you have conditions for where God places you to serve? Lord, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll serve you, Lord, as long as I get to use my gifts. Lord, I'm, I'm ready to serve you. As long as it's public, comfortable, appreciated. Lord, I'll join myself to a local church. I will join myself to a gospel community. I will stay there. As long as there's good music. As, As long as... The community group feels authentic, you know? As long as this list of expectations is met. Now, y'all, I'm not immune to this either, right? It comes after all of us. Lord, you know, I'll be a good pastor as long as I just get my Saturdays to myself. I'll be a good pastor as long as, you know, my family doesn't have to be burdened. Isaiah's call here, it's it's a sobering reminder for all of us that we don't serve God because we negotiated a nice contract with Him. We don't serve God because we found Him somehow just kind of useful for our lives. We serve God because it's our joy to do anything for Him. He's our Lord. He's our Master. You know, one evening I had the privilege to sit down with a pastor, even hero of the faith of mine, who has been in ministry now for almost 30 years, a a very fruitful labor a very fruitful gospel ministry, and he was just fielding different questions from young men at the time, and we were sitting down in the room and just asking him different things about his life and ministry. Somebody asked him, you know, what is it that keeps you going? How, How have you persevered in your ministry over all these years? How have you found the purpose in persevering? You know, I was trying to kind of calculate in my head what he was going to say next. You know, maybe just thinking about all the people he'd see in heaven one day. Or maybe just talking about the, the joy that comes from seeing the way that people grow and develop as disciples of Jesus. But the pastor quiet for a moment, and tears started to well up in his eyes. And he looked us in the eyes and he said this, I know that I deserve hell. I know that I deserve hell. 
and I will do anything for the king who saved me. Y'all, may we be a church that remembers what we deserve. May we be a people whose humility before the Lord paves the way for availability. Availability without conditions. Now, Isaiah is about to figure out that he just signed up for the job of a lifetime. It's going to be the hardest, most grueling, most challenging job he will ever receive. And his willingness to work for the Lord is going to be pushed to its outer limits. Verse 9. And the Lord said, Go. Say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So what's happening here? Well, God is telling Isaiah, I need you to be my witness. And Isaiah, there's going to be nothing wrong with the words that you speak. There will be nothing deficient about this message that you deliver. However, these people will not listen to you. In, in fact, not only will these people not listen, but when they hear the truth, their faculties will be further dulled. Spiritual blindness will set in further. Their minds will be darkened and their hearts hardened. And I'm telling this to you right now, Isaiah, because I want you to know that I said it. You can trust it. My word is the way for you in this valley. In these dark days, Isaiah, you can trust that my word works. Now put yourself in Isaiah's shoes here. God tells him, be my spokesman to a nation that you love and tell them of their unfaithfulness. Call them to turn to me, but Isaiah, I'm going to use the truth that you share to further blind their eyes, to, to further clog their ears, to further dull their hearts. Now, I think that some of us in this room are probably wondering, is this even fair? Is, is God going to just intentionally send somebody with the truth, with the plan, that they actually won't be healed? I mean, is, is, can we really even call this a ministry of what Isaiah's doing here? But I don't want us to miss the point of this passage. I think part of the point 
of what we see described here is it helps us to see all the more clearly. It helps us to see all the more vividly that even if somebody grows up with every spiritual advantage that there is out there, sin is powerful. Sin is deceitful. You know, Israel's failure to keep God's covenant here, it highlights everyone's failure to keep God's commands. So, so the picture of this passage, it's, it's not as if God is up in heaven with his hand on the forehead of some people who want to come in, but God is unwilling to let them in. No, 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 no. The, the, the picture is everyone is running away from God. God calls out to them mercifully. He calls them to turn, to come to me, to turn from your wicked ways, to turn to me, to live. But in response, as people hear that, they dig their heels in. They start running harder. They start running faster. They start clinging more tightly to their idols. Y'all, when we start to see our sin rightly, when, when we start to see our sin from heaven's vantage point, this hard word of God's judgment, what starts to make a lot more sense for us. This is not God pushing people to do something that they don't desire to do. This is God giving people over to their desires which is one of the scariest things to happen in the Bible. One last thing to notice here. See how God's Word works. His Word is effective. The, the message of heaven is spoken. Some are hardened. Some, it provokes faith. I think this is a necessary warning for us. You know, just because you live your life highly exposed to God's Word, it doesn't guarantee that you will respond to it in faith. Beware of allowing yourself to become like Judah in this passage. A, a nation that was just so familiar with God's Word, so familiar with God's ways. Every time they heard it, they were unfeeling. They drifted further away. Beware of a spiritual sluggishness. Beware of listening more intently to your news station than you would on a Sunday sermon. Beware of ingratitude, a, a demanding and argumentative spirit. But beware of an unfeeling and unmelting heart towards the Lord and His grace. Beware of an impatient weariness with the ministry of God's Word. Beware of a mentality that always thinks about the different ways that that sermon applied to somebody else. Beware of hardening your heart when you know 
that the Spirit is calling you to response in repentance and faith. Today, when you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. But God tells Isaiah, Judah will harden their hearts to me. Judah will harden their hearts to me. And though they hear my message plainly, they will reject it. And so Isaiah asks, verse 11, how long? How long, O Lord, will this last? Isaiah, heartbroken over the news, wants to know how long will this go on? Notice here how Isaiah leans all the more on God's Word to light his path here. Even if it's a painful path. You know, he doesn't go searching for a second opinion. He doesn't fight what the Lord has declared. He's heard everything he needs to hear, and he goes back to God and to his Word to get answers to his questions. And he asks, how long? Leads us to point two. Point number two, in the valley, God's providence is our pillow. In the valley, God's providence is our pillow. Verse 11, and the Lord answered me and said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Isaiah asks how long and the answer is not what he hoped for. The Lord says, speak my message until cities are demolished, homes Abandoned, land, stripped bare. Now, if you remember from our scripture reading this morning, this message that God gives to Isaiah here is extremely unoriginal. He's essentially going to Judah and saying, you know what Moses said would happen to you if you broke the covenant? Well, it's happening right now. Same language from Deuteronomy echoed right here. But notice two other things. Number one, the Lord is telling Isaiah that this is going to happen before it actually happens. So, so while this news is almost too painful to bear for Isaiah, there's also a comfort in the fact that God himself knows that this is going to happen. He's letting Isaiah know before it happens, so he's not surprised, so, so he's not driven to despair, so he doesn't give up on the job thinking that, you know, something has just gone terribly wrong here. Now, at present in history, Assyria is the big national threat to God's people. But that's going to come and go, as we'll see later on in the book. Assyria is going to introduce a policy of deportation, taking people out of the land. But Babylon, ultimately, is going to finally be used by the Lord to remove God's people from their land. 
Second thing to notice here. Notice who God says is the primary actor in this picture. Did you see it there? Verse 12. The Lord removes people far away. So not only does the Lord tell Isaiah that he knows that this is going to happen, but he goes a step further. He, he says to Isaiah, I know that this is going to happen, and my hand is intending it to happen. Isaiah, this is part of my plan. Yeah, I remember a pastor friend of mine telling a story years ago where he went to a market in the Middle East, and there was a woman selling rugs, making rugs there in front of people as they pass by and, and, and selling them. And, and hanging up as he walked by on these two massive wooden dowels was this big rug with, with yarn and strings just sort of tangled and tattered and hanging off in these random spots. It, it, it kind of looked like colors were mismatched, strings dangling. And as he was walking by, he's thinking to himself, you know, why would anyone want to buy that? Well, as he walks by, he then catches a glimpse of the other side. And as he turns, he sees this beautifully detailed tapestry. Every color in its order, every shape, every pattern, every detail intentionally crafted and placed in perfect proportions. Not a color out of place. We all, in some ways, I think that's something of what it's like on this side of glory. This side of glory, most of the time, we just see the bottom of the rug. Most of the time, this side of glory, we wonder in our heads, what good can even come from this? What beauty can possibly come on the other side of this? And the Lord comes to us and He speaks to us and He says to us, My child, I need you to trust me. I need you to know that these dark threads are going to be woven in purposefully. I need you to know that I'm doing something with this black strand. I need you to know that they will serve my purpose and these dark colors will serve my design. God held out the truth of his providence to Isaiah so that he would, purpose, he would persevere in the valley, that he would persevere in the ministry that was handed to him. Isaiah needed to know the truth so that he wouldn't give up on his mission, 
so that he wouldn't stop in what the Lord had called him to. And y'all, in the valleys, we need to know this same truth. We need to know it. We need to know the power of God's providential hand. The Heidelberg Catechism, who, that Dave has quoted many times as we've gathered here on Sunday, here it is again, the Heidelberg Catechism. What is God's providence? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power whereby as with his hand he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly And the next question, what does it benefit us to know of God's providence? Answer, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature can separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Do you want to grow in your patience? Brothers and sisters, consider the providence of God. Do you want to grow in your gratitude? Fix your eyes on the providence of your heavenly Father. Do you want to know and be assured of the faithful love of God, even in the darkest valleys of your life? Fix the eyes of your heart by faith on the good and kind and providential hand of your heavenly Father. Does that answer every question? No. Does that make the valley easy? No. But it does give us what we need. It gives us what we need. It gives us enough for the next day. And enough for the next day. And enough for the next day until the Lord brings us finally to Himself. And we'll finally get to see the other side. For Isaiah, when he laid his head down at night, traveling through the dark valley, he could rest it on the pillow of God's providence. He could sleep at night knowing God is working. Lastly, point three. In the valley, God's promise is our hope. In the valley, God's promise is is our hope. Look at verse 13 with me. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. The Lord tells Isaiah that judgment 
will come on the people of Judah. They will not listen to your message. Your message will harden them in their sin, and ultimately it will usher in the Babylonians who will sack Judah and take the people into captivity. And yet, verse 13, there'll be a tenth that remains. Here, Judah's pictured as this mighty oak tree that once was. It's now been leveled by an axe, felled all the way down to the very bottom stump, burned with fire, brought to a nub. And that's the last picture we're left with of what Judah is like. A barren stump. That's the end of the Lord's word to Isaiah. Your ministry, Isaiah, will be unique. It will be a leveling ministry of judgment. But then Isaiah, it's as if he just can't help himself. Isaiah interjects and gives just a little bit of commentary so we don't miss what God is saying here. It's as if Isaiah leans in, presses pause, and whispers to us, the holy seed is the stump. Well, what's going on here? Well, that word seed or offspring it would have sent off alarm bells for any good Israelite. Uh, immediately, they would be thinking about the very beginning of their Bibles and the first promise that God gave to them. This seed mentioned here, it's, it's the same word that's used of the promise seed of woman. The, the one who was promised to come and to crush the head of the serpent, to, to bring God's people back to Eden after they had been cast out and exiled from his presence. You know, this seed, it's, it's the same word for offspring that's promised to Abraham later in the book of Genesis, through whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. This seed refers to the holy line from whom kings would come. A ruler who would govern God's people in righteousness and in justice. Don't miss what's happening here. The Lord tells Isaiah, yes, your ministry will be difficult. Yes, Isaiah, the people will not listen. Yes, your ministry will be used for judgment. Yes, Isaiah, you will experience rejection. Yes, your country will be devastated by judgment. But Isaiah, your ministry is essential to the drama that I'm directing. Your ministry will move the storyline forward. Your ministry will further prepare my people for the promised king of old. Your ministry is not in vain. Your ministry is not a failure, Isaiah. I know what I'm doing with it. Five chapters later, Isaiah pulls the curtain back and tells us more about this seed that is the stump. 
Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see. He won't decide disputes by what his ears hear. With righteousness, he will judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and break the lips of the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness will be the belt of his loins. Isaiah's ministry would announce judgment, but that judgment would not be the last word. It would pave the way. It would smooth the path for the Spirit-anointed Messiah to come in. The one from the line of Jesse, the Davidic king, the king promised from of old, and it would be him who delighted in the fear of the Lord. It would be him who would not judge like mere men do, only by their eyes. He would judge perfectly. He would judge with wisdom and understanding. He would defend the poor and the needy, and he would plead the cause of the widow. He would do away with the wicked rightly. Righteousness and justice and faithfulness is the way he decorates himself. Well, how is all this going to happen? Well, when Jesus came to earth, he did not come to win a quick, earthly, political victory over the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Romans. That's not what he came to do. Instead, he came, and the way that he waged war against evil and sin and death is by absorbing them in his very own body. He chose the cross for sinners like you and like me. He took our evil and our hate on himself as he hung on that tree. He was crucified by the ones that he came to save and came to save and simultaneously as the Messiah as he was pierced for our iniquities he would deal a fatal blow to the head of the serpent. There King Jesus the Messiah suffered the curse of a covenant breaker. He was lifted up driven out from the land. He was cast out and treated like a sinner. He was cut off so that you and I don't have to be. He was rejected like Isaiah was. But unlike Isaiah, he experienced the rejection of his heavenly Father, where his Father was pleased to crush the Son and the full wrath of God was poured out upon him in full measure so that you and I, we can know that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? 
Nothing can separate us from his love. It's here and it's here to stay because we know that our Savior was raised three days later for us. He was raised in power to show to us that the sacrifice was sufficient for us. He was raised in power to show that there is hope in this promised one. Death could not hold him. And for all of us who turn and to trust in him, his life is now our life. His death is now our death. The word of the Lord comes to us, and it doesn't harden our hearts anymore. We have feeling hearts towards the Lord. We have malleable hearts towards his word. We have obedient hearts to his word. So if you're not a Christian today, you need to know this. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear him calling, turn to him. Look to me and be saved all the ends of the world, all the ends of the world. If you aren't walking with the Lord, the Lord has two words for you this morning. Two words. Look and live. Look and live. Look to Jesus. Look to his death. See what he's done for you. Look and see that his death was for you. And live. Turn to him. Live in him. Find your life in Jesus. Turn to him today while you still can. And if you are a Christian, open your heart. Open your heart. Let it be filled with the awe at the Lord's never-failing wisdom here. Do you see it? In His unfathomable, bright design, He planned the rejection of the gospel by the Jews as the very means by which more people would be brought into His kingdom. The promise of the Messiah extends to the ends of the earth because Isaiah was rejected by his people, because Messiah Jesus was rejected by his people. That's why in our reading this morning, we saw that in the last chapter of the book of Acts, the gospel goes to the Jews, some believe, but many reject, and so Paul keeps going, and he quotes Isaiah, and he quotes these verses. The gospel abounds to the nations because of God's sovereign and wise design by these people's rejection. Why are you here today? Well, if you are here as a Christian, you are a Christian because of God's infinite wisdom. He fashioned and ordered history in such a way that his message would be rejected by some and go further into the world, further to the nations, so that people like you could hear it. That's why you're here. God's gracious will. That doesn't make you any better. That's Paul's entire point in Romans chapter 11. He, he says this, branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. That's true. 
but they were broken off because of their unbelief, referring to the Jews. But you stand fast through faith. So what do we do? Paul's very next words, do not become proud, but fear. Note the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Do you see that? Do you see how kind the Lord has been to you? Brothers and sisters, we don't deserve anything but hell. We don't. But God gave us Himself. He gave us Himself. He has not spared His own Son. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If He's given us the gift, He won't withhold the wrapping paper. In the dark valley of the soul, Christians know something that Isaiah never fully knew. We know Christ crucified. Isaiah held to the promise of one concealed. We now hold to the promised one revealed. When there seems to be no more evidence of God's love, we cannot escape the cross of Christ. We can't escape the road to Calvary where our Savior's hands were nailed open fully in love for us. As we prepare to celebrate two baptisms, believer, if you're a believer this morning, remember your baptism. Consider the riches of the kindness of the Lord and how good He's been to you. And consider the hope that His promised one has given you. We find hope in the promise of God. Brothers and sisters, in our valleys, may we be a people who, like Isaiah, are guided by His word, are comforted by His providence and are filled by the hope of His promise. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for Your good and gracious will. We thank You for Your wisdom your kindness for the word that we heard this morning. God, may your kindness be what leads us to repentance. May your kindness be what melts our heart towards you this morning and leads us to enjoy your rich grace today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.